0: Parents, you are not raising children. I know some of you are thinking, this guy gets me. They're monsters, (laughs) right? They're monsters. Or if you are like my wife, Emily and I, sometimes we look at each other and then we look at the children and then we look at each other and go, what planet are they from? Are they aliens? Do you ever do that? Does that conversation ever happen in your house? Or you're thinking, They're animals. Why are there so many water bottles? And why are there so many toys? And why are there so many clothes? And why does it look like a pack of wild coyotes has been through the room? If you have teenagers, you say amen. No, no. You are raising humans. But they're not children. They're just adults who happen to be younger and need a lot of attention right now. In fact, this season that you are with them in your home, if you've got a child at home, is only about 25% of their life. But most of the rest of their life will be spent in 75% of their life outside your home as adults. You are raising this person. And most of their defining moments will happen in this 75%. And most of the crucial decisions that they make will happen in this 75%. Not in this 25% where they're in your home. And I don't want you to steal their childhood. But what I do want you to understand and realize today and in this series is that who they become as adults is what matters most. My name is Carter McKenna. I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop. And I am so honored to share with you and excited about teaching this series uh, that really speaks to parents at every level. So some of you are here and you're not a parent. Maybe you are even a teenager and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? This is for mom and dad. But you're gonna be a parent one day. You might want to be, or maybe you're a college student or maybe you're a young couple engaged or just married. And I would love for you to just kind of just just lean in because we want you to get this right from the start when that time comes for you. Some of you have parents, uh, have children at home and you're raising, they're just born or they're toddlers. Some of you have teenagers, some of you have adult children and you have figured out that if you have adult children, parenting doesn't end, it just changes. In fact, you heard the title of this series was Parenting to When and you thought it was Parenting Till When? So when, when are you moving out of the house? When are you going to be on your own? When is this going to be over? And you kind of figure that out. So this series is important because we live in a community of parents with children in the home. It's our largest demographic. But we're also a church that cares about the next generation. I want to spend the rest of my life emptying my cup into another generation so that they can change the world in more profound ways than maybe we will. I want to raise up a generation to do God's work in the world, in our schools, in our communities, and when they become adults. And if we want to invest in the next generation, what better way to do it than investing in the people who spend the most time with them and have the most influence over them? We want to help parents. So if you're not a parent, uh, here's what I want you to know about parents and about parenting. Okay, here's what I want you to know about your friends. If you're sitting there going, well, I'm not a parent. Here's what I want you to know about them. This is consuming them. This is consuming them. Every waking minute of their lives is spent thinking about how to parent. Their schedules, their money, their vacations, their hobbies, their lives, uh, their their energy, their homes. Everything they do centers around this, this thing in their life called parenting. And there are two things that they won't tell you. Number one, they're they're worried they're not getting it right. And they so desperately want to win at this. And here's something that they won't tell you that I believe is so true right now. And parents, I know we don't wanna talk about this. They're exhausted. This last year and a half has been the hardest season they've ever had as parents. They have had to learn how to be at-home teachers and online educators. They have had to figure out what to do about vaccines or no vaccines and mask and no mask. They have had to figure out how to have conversations about social and political unrest in our world and how much do they tell the kids and how much do we talk about it and how much do we bring them into the divided world we have and how do I keep my family safe? I want to tell you something about your parent friends that they're not going to tell you because they don't want to be a negative Nancy. They're exhausted. And they want to win at this. They want to get this right so much. This book points to Jesus. This book is a beautiful love story from God about how God created humans in his own image and called a people to himself called the Israelites or the Hebrews or the Jews and raised up a savior from those people. And this story rates, it comes to a pinnacle in the gospel stories that we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where God came to earth in human form in a man named Jesus, who not only taught us how to live, but gave us life. It's a story of how he was crucified to take the punishment that our sins deserved so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And the the pinnacle, pinnacle of the story happened three days later when he came back to life. We believe that he physically, literally, resurrected from the dead to defeat sin and death forever. And most of the rest of the book, written by his followers, his apostles, is fleshing out and talking about the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection on everyday life for us. And we believe that if we Trust Jesus that if we seek his forgiveness that our sins are forgiven and washed away and that if we believe in his resurrection that we have an invitation to eternal life in heaven with him. That is the heartbeat of our church. That is what I want for you. Anything is the most important thing that you could ever do, most important decision you could ever be. It is the, it is the message of this book, of God's word or what we call the Bible. In our church, we say that we invite and equip people to follow Jesus. But sometimes churches just do a good job of telling that story and inviting them to follow Jesus, and that's it. We just do the inviting part. And aren't you grateful, aren't you grateful that this isn't just a book about our redemption and God's sacrifice for us and God sending his son for us and our opportunity to step into God's righteousness and eternal life. Aren't you glad God didn't just write this book to get us saved and then say, well, see you in heaven, good luck till you get there. Aren't you glad that's not the story? This book is chock full of wisdom for everyday life. And it's chock full of wisdom for parenting. So you may, this is, this is a, here's what this series is about. It's about us helping equip parents to follow Jesus in their homes. And if we're gonna be a church that doesn't just invite people to follow this Jesus who loves us and gave his life for us, but actually equips people, to live that out in their home, then that's why this is so important. So if you're not a parent, here's what I would love for you to do in this series. I would love for you to pray for parents in our community in this series. I would love for you to pray for them that God might use this season, that might, God might use this series for breakthroughs that will change family trees forever. That will change family trees forever. Because we believe God can. And you probably still have influence as aunts and uncles over some nephews and nieces. Maybe you're a small group leader in our kids' ministry. Maybe you've got family friends. We all need all the help we can get in raising this next generation. So we're calling this series Parenting to Win because I believe God wants you to win at this. I believe God gives us instruction for how to win at this. So how do you win as a parent? Is it if your kids make lots of money? They have a good job? They have a pretty family that they can post Instagram pictures, right? Is that, is that a win as a parent? That's the million-dollar question, right? When is the win? When do you say, we did it? When can you look at your spouse and go, whoo, game over? We did it. Is it that they would become an academic scholar? Maybe they're valedictorian. Is that when they are Is that when you won as a parent? Is that the one at high school graduation, the parents of the valedictorian, salutatorian, like those are the winners here? Is it that they're homecoming queen or king and they're beautiful or handsome and everybody loves them? Is it that they're a musical prodigy and they get selected to one of the greatest fine arts schools in the nation? Is that what a win is? Is it that they're a star athlete? And maybe they get a college scholarship to play at a major university. Maybe they go to play professional sports. Is that it? Or is it that they graduate? Maybe that's it. You're just like, we're just trying to get to the end game. Trying to get them graduated from high school. Or for you, is it that they graduate from college? Or maybe you've got bigger aspirations and you really win if your kid goes to law school or graduates from med school. Is that it? Is that when you win and it's over? Or is it that they become an employee? Like they get a job. Sometimes my boys ask me, we have four boys, um, 11, 13, 15, and 17, appreciate your prayers. Um, they're awesome boys, man, we're so, can I just say, my, on a series of parenting, can I just say, i have awesome boys. I'm so proud of you boys, they're in here somewhere. Um, but sometimes they ask me like, hey, when, when do you consider us an adult? And I always say, well, when you have your own insurance. When you go to the doctor and your job pays for it, not mine, then you are officially an adult in the McKenna's house. Amen? Come to some of you. Some of you are like adult children or like looking at your adult children, right? You're like, um, yeah, insurance, so you have a job. So are those the win? I mean, we would love for our kid to be star athletes or musical prodigies or academic scholars or whatever it is. I mean, it's not that those things are bad things, but is that the win? Is that when you say you did it? Can I just tell you that I believe that there's a different value, there's a different win. And it's what I really want to talk about this series is I believe you win when your child becomes an adult faithful follower of Jesus. I believe you win. So one of the problems is that a lot of parents haven't defined the win. And so you don't even know what game you're playing. You don't even know how to keep score. And sometimes you have mom has a different win and dad has a different win and, well, stepmom has a different win and stepdad has a different win. It can get really complex in blended families. You know if you play a board game... You've got a win. You get to this point on the board and that's a win and you know how to get there. You don't start the game and everybody decides that, that a different thing is a different win. No, there's, there's a defined win. Have you defined the win in your house? And here's, here's why this is, so port- this is so important. You can crush it as a 17-year-old and be an awful 37-year-old. Come on, moms and dads. You, listen, he can be a star athlete and an awful father. She can be homecoming queen and an awful wife. They can be a musical prodigy and an awful friend. Just because they succeed at all the things that the world says is success for children and for teens and for young people does not necessarily translate if we have defined those as the win in their life instead of something far beyond, far bigger for them. And they can have all, and you know this because you've seen it, maybe you've experienced, they can have all the worldly success. They might have the great job. They might make lots of money, but they lack the character and integrity that you'd hope they'd have as an adult. And they might look like they won by the world standards, but in your heart you know this, that wasn't the win you had hoped for them. So parenting to win, you kind of have to have this crystal ball you're almost looking into So here's kind of the theme of the series that I I want us to think about in the series before we dig into a, a passage today. I think that you win as a parent when your children choose obedience to God when you're no longer around to parent. I think that you win as a parent when your children choose obedience to God when you're no longer around to parent when you're not making them do the right thing, but they choose to do the right thing anyway. Mom and dad, you won then. You won at that moment then. When they have godly character and wisdom and integrity, even when they don't have to anymore. The writer of Proverbs gives a word to parents That speaks to this reality in fact young parents specifically this proverb uh, it wants you to understand that what you're doing now is setting the stage for the rest of their lives and I know that is so hard to see in parenting I know some of you are like neck deep in diapers right now right And you just think diapers are never going to end. And I just, brother or sister, they are going to end, okay? I just want to tell you, the diapers are going to end. And some of you just think that you are never going to get past sleepless nights. You are never going to get past pureed sweet potatoes on the wall, like you think those seasons are never gonna end or you're never gonna get past toddler tantrums and terrible twos or you're never gonna get past first day of school crying or you're never gonna get past messy rooms with teenagers and what this writer wants to tell us in this Proverbs is like, listen, these, this season that you think you're never gonna get past, it's just a small 25% portion that you are laying the groundwork for, a 75% portion that's gonna be the, the main part, the part that makes all the difference. So it's 1 verse in Proverbs and in this series we're going to look at a lot of just 1 verses because Proverbs has some incredible wisdom. It's our wisdom book in the Bible. It's 1 verse that packs a punch. It says it this way. If you're looking in Proverbs 22, if you've got your app or your Bible open, if you're here and you're a guest or, or maybe you're uh, here for the first time and you don't have a hard copy Bible, there's some bookshelves when you leave. We would love to give you one of those. If you're watching online, you've got your Bible there, you've got your app, open it up to Proverbs 22 and just, uh, and just let it sit here. And particularly if you have some different translations because we're going to look at a couple of translations today. This is what Proverbs 22, 6 says. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start children off. Start them off right on the way they should go. And even when they are old, They they will not depart from it. Now, typically, I teach, this is from the New International Version. That's what NIV stands for. And typically, that is what I teach from the New International Version. It was translated the original uh, Greek and Hebrew in the 1970s, the New Testament in 73, and they finished the Old Testament in 78 into kind of a modern contemporary language for us because prior to that, pretty much... All you had was the King James Version, which was translated in 1611. And so you can imagine this 1611 kind of, uh, uh, kind of old English, that's sometimes hard to understand, but I memorized this verse in the King James. And I can't, when I read this passage, I can't get that King James Version out of my head, and I actually kind of like it better in this verse. This is the way the King James Version says the same verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's how I memorize that verse. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Now, so that word that the NIV uses for start and the King James uses for train, maybe you've got a different translation that uses a, a different word, maybe begin things off. In the Hebrew language, that word is a word, uh, Hanak, that's kind of fun to say. It kind of clears your throat. Anybody want to just say that with me? Hanak. Hanak. It's only in the Bible four times. It's only in the Bible four times. And three of the four times it is used for the opening of a new building, like a new palace or a temple. So the, the idea behind this word is like a consecration of a building. So really there's a sense here in this word like when you are, when you have a child, when you have a child at their beginning stages of their life, you are consecrating them. You are dedicating them like you would dedicate a building. But this is the only time that the word is used to kind of be more like train or start and I love that train. In fact, the the root of this word, hanak, It comes from the word that means to make narrow. And now that makes some sense for parenting, right? Parenting so much is about training to go kids on a narrow path. Starting them off on the right road. Getting them right on the right thing. To train them to train them so that one day you can take off the guardrails of that narrow road when they leave the home, but they are trained to walk on the right path. But training, what does it mean to train up a child in the Lord? Training is kind of a funny thing. So this Friday night, I'm pretty pumped because high school football starts this Friday night. Come on, anybody excited about high school football? Yeah. So my, my boys play, uh, play varsity football and, uh, and, and JV, but they'll be there Friday night. And, and I grew up on Friday night lights, so I love it. And they've been practicing for a lot of our local high schools here are starting and, and maybe even where you're watching from home in the next week or two. So, so they've been practicing for about a month. But here's the thing, and this is almost every high school football team because the sport has changed so much. They have been doing weight training since Memorial Day. Do you know that? They didn't start practice three or four weeks ago to get ready for the first game. No, they have been training for four months. Now, um, we uh, I, I've got some weights over here, and I've got some assistants that are gonna help me, some spotters. Uh, are, Naomi and Jenna, awesome spotters here. We were gonna get Nate that plays the keyboard up here. Y'all you know him to help spot, but he hadn't been in the weight room in a while, so we couldn't do that. Um, uh, love you, Nate, man. <laughs> He spends a lot of time in the weight room. He'd like to do this with one hand. Um, So here's, when you go in a weight room for the first time, typically your first day, you're gonna do a couple of the basic exercises that you do in a weight room, right? What's one of them? Bench press. You're gonna do bench press. So you're gonna go up and, you know bench press, right? I'm just gonna press the weight up. I'm laying down on a bench, I'm going to press it up. Press it up. Yeah, get a little pump in. Get a little pump. Get a little pump. Yeah. Thank you. That's enough for the week. Um, You do bench press. That's like the basic first thing you do when you go in there and everybody wants to know, like, what's your max? What's your max? What's your max? What's the max you can bench press? The second one you do, the basic, is a squat. And this is where I really need some help here. Yeah. Good job. All right. So the squat is where you're going to put the weight on your back, and I'm going to squat down. Right, had to wear my stretchy jeans today. Squat down. I'm gonna squat. Now, every, thank you. These strong women we got here at Mountaintop, give them a hand, yeah. Now, here's the crazy thing Have you ever seen anyone do a bench press or a squat in the middle of a high school football game? Nope. You ever seen like a quarterback drop back to pass? Now I'm about to drop, let me put the ball down and get a little bench press in. You never seen that, do you? Why are you doing bench press and squat if you don't bench press and squat in football? Why don't you just press football all the time? You don't bench press, but you block. And when you're sitting there and you're an offensive lineman and you block, trying to block that guy in front of me is a lot like a bench press. Or if I'm running, if I'm a running back and someone's coming to tackle me and I try to stiff arm him, that's a lot like a bench press. And I may not squat, but if I've got to jump up to catch a ball or deflect a ball, it's a lot like a squat. Or if I've got to tackle an oncoming runner and I've got to drive my legs up, it's a lot like a squat. You're trying to train your muscles, strengthen your muscles. Because you never know at what point in any game that you are gonna have that one play that your muscles are gonna have to be strong so that you can make that one block that makes all the difference or jump up high enough to get that pass tipped away that will make all the difference. You have no idea, but here's what I know. Training translates into muscle memory. You're not, you don't do bench and squat in high school football games, but you sure do use those muscles and you are trying to train them to be strong and training creates muscle memory. So how are you training your kids? How are you training them so that one day they won't depart from it? Or let me ask you this way, did you know that you were training them? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, we brought them to church, Carter, right? That is awesome. That is awesome. And this is a great place to start. It's so important. But I want you to think about it a little bit differently about how you might be training your children in some some ways that we don't always remember. So let's just imagine you have made grilled chicken, homemade mashed potatoes, and green beans for dinner, good dinner, right? I'm getting you hungry. We got food trucks out there. Don't worry. And you set it down before your kid. You've got the toddler. You made this good meal. And what do your kids do? I oh, want I want Dino nuggets and mac and cheese. <laughs> Have we had this in our home? Has anybody else experienced this? Right? You've made this lovely dinner that's healthy, nutritious. It's got some meats, some vegetables, some carbs. You just got, it's got like the perfect plate. And they want nuggets shaped like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which I don't know if you've ever seen a chicken, but there ain't nothing on there that looks like a T-Rex. Now, every parent has had this situation. And I want to tell you, moms and dads, every parent has caved. Okay? Every parent is, you're like, oh, goodness, what's that? Every parent has caved. Every parent has just said, stop the whining, stop the screaming. It just needs to stop. I want to eat my chicken and my green beans and my mashed potatoes. Fix the child the nuggets. Every child's done it, yeah. Every every parent's done that. Is that a big deal? Well, let me ask you something. High school football player, he misses... One day of weightlifting. Big deal? Is that going to kill them on a Friday night? Probably not. Probably not. Most every family goes on vacation. A kid misses a couple workouts. What if they don't go to a single workout all summer long? And there comes that moment that they need to jump just high enough to knock away that pass but they can't get quite enough lift or there comes that moment they need to make that one block for their teammate to score a touchdown and they just can't quite get the guy out of the way and he slips by and makes a tackle. If they miss every workout, does it make a difference? Is it the end of the world if you just cave and give the nuggets and the mac and cheese and or make a PB and J? Here's what I want you to know. It's not the end of the world, but what if you do it every time? What are you teaching your children? How are you training them? And here's what I want to tell you I don't think you're training them in anything that has to do with food. I think you're training them and teaching them something about authority and obedience and gratitude. And what happens if over and over in their little lives you don't train them to obey those who have authority over them? You don't train them to be grateful for what those in authority have given to them? Because who has most ultimate authority in their lives? God. And because here's what I want to tell you about your kids and God God is going to throw some green beans their way in life. Everything God throws at us don't always taste good, does it? And sometimes it's a little hard to get down. So how are you training your children to strengthen their obedience muscle, strengthen their obedience to authority, strengthen their gratitude muscle? When God asks them to do something that they don't want, when God gives them something that doesn't taste real good, will they have a strong enough muscle to obey God's authority in their lives? Will they have a strong enough muscle to say, God, I'm grateful no matter what you give me because it's more than I deserve? Will they be trained? Will they have the muscle memory to follow God? if you tell them that they always get what they want. How are you training them? So just, let's just talk about some areas. How are you training them? When it comes to faith at home, how are you training them? Do they see you open your Bible at home? Do you pray with your children? Do you read the Bible with your children? or Is that only something that the pastor do, does? How are you training them about what happens on Sunday translates into Monday through Saturday? How are you training them in worship? You're here, those of you that are in the room or some of you are watching online and maybe you got your kids around you and that's just awesome. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've taken in 21 years of ministry of parents who say I, who, parents who stop coming to church and can't believe that their children abandon their faith when they get to adults, and I just want to say, well, you taught them their whole lives that faith wasn't important. There's something that may hap, there's a training that happens when we say we're getting up every Sunday and when we're in town we're going to church. How are you training them when it comes to money? Do they see you trying to keep up with the Joneses? Do they see you making decisions all about money? Or do they see you being generous? Do they see you being grateful for what God has blessed you with? How are you training them in holiness? Do they see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Would they describe mom and dad is that, that she is a holy woman. He is a holy man. Here, let me ask it this way. If your kid's relationship with Jesus mirrors your relationship with Jesus, will you be okay with that? Or do you need to do some work? What about marriage? How are you training them in marriage? How are you training them in marriage? If their marriage looks like your marriage, what kind of marriage will your children have? What about accountability and authority? Are they learning how to obey authority? Are they learning how to be accountable to God and to those to whom God has put over them? Listen, I know parents, and I remember when our boys were little, it feels like you say no all the time, doesn't it? You ever felt that way, moms and dads? Just no, 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 you can't do that. No, we can't go there. No, you can't have that. No, I'm not buying that. It feels like that way. But the most important thing, the lasting impact, the biggest influence on your kids' lives will be all the things that you are saying yes to that you might not even be thinking about. What boundaries are you saying yes to in your home, in your lives? What attitudes and activities are you saying yes to that they're acceptable in our house? Because every yes is training them, not just for tomorrow, but for the next 20 years. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here's what the proverb writer is trying to tell us. What you teach your children now shows up later. What you teach your children now shows up later. And if you teach them obedience now, it'll show up later. If you teach them gratitude now, it'll show up later. If you teach them holiness now, it'll show up later. It might not show up when they're 16 or 17, but it will show up later. It will show up later. If you don't have a vision for where you want them to go, if you don't know what the win is, mom and dad, you will not know how to structure their lives right now. Of course, they're not making adult-level decisions, and they're not in adult-level situations, but you can put in them adult-level values because very quickly, very quickly, sooner than you realize, they are going to be in adult situations having to make adult-level decisions in things that you could not have ever predicted or imagined. How will you start them off? How have you trained them up? What are you teaching them now that will show up later? Now, here's the thing. We We know parents, we all know that kids are free agents. And they do get to make their own decisions. And I have seen so Many times I have seen children and and some of you have experienced this who were raised in Christian homes with Christian values and as adults it feels like they departed from it. And I've counseled so many parents at heartbreak over that thing. They can't understand how they raised their kid and how somehow as adults these children have kind of departed the faith. They've departed the church. But here's what I just want to encourage you. You have no idea what you taught before is gonna show up later. It might take just the right moment. My daddy was not a pastor. He was a textile plant manager. He spent almost his whole career in textiles in the textile world, moving around. And uh, <clears throat> so, But we were a church going family and I grew up in a Christian home and I'm so grateful for that. And we went to church every single Sunday, and my daddy had a value in our home. And, and this was a value, and I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it meant. One of the values that we had in our house is that my daddy did not cut grass on Sunday afternoons. Anybody else have a daddy do that That was a value for them? My daddy would not cut grass on Sunday afternoons, and I never understood what that was about. And I saw so many occasions where it would rain on Saturday, and it would be beautiful on Sunday, but daddy would, man, he'd cut that grass on Monday after he got home from work. I I bet I can count on three fingers the times daddy cut the grass on Sundays if we had just, there was no other solution, and we were going out of town or something. Sundays were for rest, Sundays were for worship. We went to church. My mama made a good lunch. It feels like pot roast was on the menu a lot. I love me some pot roast. We'd come home and have a pot roast, and we just rested on Sunday afternoon. We took naps. I fell asleep during some NFL game and woke up in the fourth quarter. That's just what we did. We rested. Now, it was not a day for work. Now, here's I got a problem with that as a pastor, right? I work on Sundays, Okay, I work on Sundays, and, um, but my daddy tried to teach me about the need for rest, so I, I very quickly in my ministry, I made Fridays kind of my, my Sabbath, and I'll cut grass on Fridays because for me, that's actually kind of relaxing. I'll listen to some worship music and get a little exercise, but it's the day for me that I'm not going to do church work. I'm going to do stuff around the house. I'm going to go to lunch with my wife. I'm going to spend time with the boys. I'm going to, you know, what, I'm just, I'm, but I'm going to rest from the work of the church. About four years ago, the church that I was pastoring, we were in an incredibly busy season. We were renovate, renovating a building, and about, we were, about half of it we were doing ourselves. And it was mostly during the summer and every summer, every Friday I was going up to the church and we were doing carpentry and painting and putting in trim and everything we could do to get the church building finished. And one Thursday night, every, was, my boys were little so they would go up to the church with me kind of all day to do that. And one Thursday night we were praying because we have always have gathered our boys around to pray and my little guy, Walker, he was about nine years old And we got to pray and it got to Walker's spot and he prayed, dear God, help us not have to spend all day at the church tomorrow. And what Walker didn't know is his daddy was about that close to burnout. But man, my training kicked in. And I needed to stop cutting grass on Sundays. I needed to stop spending my Sabbath doing work. And it had begun to hit my son. But I want you to know, my father had no idea I'd go into ministry, and he had no idea that there would be an epidemic among clergy about burnout and mental illness, and pastors quitting every single. Week. He had. No no idea that that would be an epidemic in pastors. But what he taught me was Sabbath. And when I got right up to the brink and I had departed it for just crazy excuses and not thinking about it, that muscle memory kicked in. And I'm so grateful that my daddy didn't cut grass on Sundays. Every morning when you wake up, moms and dads, You are taking your children to weight training every morning. And there is a game day coming, but kickoff time has not been announced yet. Because you don't know if it will be when they are 18 and they're at a party. And you don't know that it might be when they're 27 and they're in an argument with their spouse and it's the first argument they've ever had while they've been married. You don't know if it's when they're 35 and they're around the table with their toddler or if it's when they're 50 and they're in a confrontation with their boss. But when that moment comes for my boys, I want to know that Emily and I put God's values over them while they were in our house so God's values will be in them long after they're out of our house. What you teach your children now shows up later. So what? Else, how are you teaching them? How are you training them? Can I tell you that I believe that the most important decision that you could ever make, and some of you, this might be the day for you, is to say we're gonna commit our parenting if you're married, I'm gonna commit my marriage. If you're single parent, say I'm gonna commit my parenting. I'm gonna commit my life to Jesus Christ. The most important thing you could do for your kids is for them to be raised by faithful followers of Jesus. And the most important training you can do is to submit yourself to the Lord. And if you have never given your life to Christ, I told you that this book is all about Jesus. And before you try to train yourself and train your children, the most important thing you can do is give yourself to the Lord. So if you have never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and you're a mom and dad, can I just tell you that's what I want for you most today? Because you got to get that right before you get anything else right. And some of you did that a long time ago, but somehow you got off track. Somehow you got off track and you're like, we're not praying with our kids. We're not reading the scriptures with our kids. We kind of bring them to church and we just, that's kind of it for the week when it comes to spiritual stuff. And it's time for you to rededicate and recommit your life to Jesus. Can I just tell you the most important training your children need is to be raised by faithful followers of Jesus as moms and dads. So before you do anything else and take any principle else outside this door and apply it to your life, How are you applying the Holy Spirit to your life? And I wanna invite you today in this closing time, I wanna invite you to come up and pray if you want or pray right where you're there. If you wanna pray with somebody, if you feel like I've never accepted Jesus, I've never done this, but I wanna do that, it's time for me, I want my kids to have a Christian mom, I want my kids to have a Christian dad, then you raise your hand and one of our pastors will pray with you today. Or if you just wanna come down with your spouse or by yourself and say, I wanna dedicate this, I wanna train my kids. Today's the day. Now's the time. Heavenly Father, thank you for wisdom. Thank you, you didn't just love us and leave us. (laughs) You've loved us and given us ways to learn. And God, I fall short, Emily falls short, our every single person in this room falls short as a parent. But Lord, you don't fall short. And where we are weak, you are strong. So Lord, what I want to pray for every person in this room, every parent in this room, especially God today, is that they would dedicate their own personal lives to Jesus and I pray Lord that lives would be changed because mom and dad didn't just decide to raise their kids right, that mom and dad decided to get themselves right with the Lord, first and foremost. Thank you Lord that you offer a way Lord, I just want to pray for any person in this room that says, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to ask Jesus into my heart, Lord, that you would just pray this prayer just in your heart. And if you pray this prayer, I want to invite you to come forward and raise your hand uh, and for someone can pray with you. Dear God, I want to be the parent that you want me to be. I want to be the person that you want me to be. And I need Jesus. I'm a sinner and I want to give my life to you. So Lord, forgive me for my sins. I believe you died to forgive my sins and I believe you rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and eternal life. And Lord, I wanna live in heaven with you and I want you to help get heaven into me as a mom or dad, as an individual. In Jesus' name.